Hey guys, welcome to the Bacon Boardcast, episode number 402. I'm Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. And we're back to being a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. Thanks, coronavirus. <laughs> the first being The Week in Geek, bringing you the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the Q, uh, the things that we are looking forward to this week. Now we follow that up with our weekly rotating main topic. And this week, it's time for part 11 of our great Marvel movie retrospective, where we're going to be sitting down and talking about 2015's Avengers Age of Ultron. With the hindsight that we have now, seeing the next, what, 18 movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? They've had a lot of movies, guys. And a lot of stuff ties into this one. I actually have more notes written for Age of Ultron than for any other Marvel movie we've done so far. It's, it's a big one. I just watched it again it today with the wife. I watched almost all of it yesterday with my son. I watched half of it with him. Watched half of it the night we recorded the last podcast and the other half today. Because, again, I told you guys this off air, but I have no frame of reference for what day it is anymore. And Friday kind of snuck up on me this week. Hooray. You know what Friday means, though, guys? It's beer o'clock somewhere? It's just another day to drink. So what are you guys drinking? <laughs> I'm sorry. You guys still have your jobs. I'm I'm furloughed until further notice. So I saw a post online. I was like, you can now split your days between two different hours, coffee hour and happy hour. That's, ba- that's basically how I've been living. That's pretty good. Oh, we, uh, I don't know if you mentioned it, but Chris has been trying different coffee creamers. I know. Uh, we just <laughs> mentioned it on the last. Yeah, was it four hundred or four hundred one? I can't remember now. It was four hundred. Okay. Uh, but uh, I just looked into the fridge and I was like, my wife bought uh, Reese's uh, coffee creamer, and I was like, oh, peanut butter coffee creamer sounds pretty good. You know, Chris found cinnamon toast crunch. She's like, where? I'm like, uh, Florida. I don't. But it, I don't they should have it because it's just like the international delights one. Uh, and then for those of you that want to know it was delicious it just tastes like the milk at the bottom of cinnamon toast crunch then the week after that i got the funfetti one which you have to do a little bit more of a heavy pour on that one because uh it's it's a very (laughs) subtle taste and then uh the second cup i had i poured in a little bit too much i was like oh no you gotta you gotta go hard on this motherfucker uh today i actually had my first cup of my next coffee creamer which is uh the international delights coconut cream which is pretty good. I liked it all. Does it make your coffee Sounds taste good. like a Samoa? Um, not really. It's more just like a, <clears throat> almost using like a coconut milk. Oh, okay. okay. But it's, it's quite interesting. Good. I, I like it a lot. I think I like it more um, than like some of the other ones I've had. But the Funfetti and the Cinnamon Toast Crunch ones are definitely top tier. That's upper echelon uh, coffee cream. Uh, and you know, else, you know what else is pretty good? Uh, this beer I'm drinking from Hamburg Brewery. And this is their Samurai. It's a IPA with Sriracha Ace Hops. Uh, this uses three different kinds of rye. And um, when the brewery opened, I think like maybe nine or eight years ago, this was probably one of my favorite beers they did. Um, this is does have a different listing from that beer on untapped. So it is a slightly different beer. Um, 
you get a nice buttery lemoniness from the sriracha hops, um, a nice rye to it, and it follows it up with a nice IPA bitter. Um, I don't remember the bitter being there, but again, it's been almost a decade since I've had it uh, because they brewed it one year for the summer and never brewed it again. Um, so no, I was happy to see this came back. I'm enjoying the beer. I only grabbed one of them in a uh, craft your own, and uh, I'm happy with it. I don't think I'd drink another, but uh, I'm glad they chose to brew it again. Yeah, because we loved that beer when they first launched it all those years ago. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was. How does it? Oh. Uh, how does it rate up against uh, another Sriracha beer? Sriracha Ace from Brooklyn. Uh, I drink Sriracha Ace from Brooklyn. Way more. Way I I would drink that anytime over this. Okay. So if I had the money, just stick with fine Sriracha Ace. That's all I'm asking. Yeah, but I mean, Sriracha Ace went to a six pack for I think nine ninety nine. Um, and I think they softened they softened the beer a little bit. They might have taken a little more what they were. But they took the oomph out of it when they went from a four pack to a six pack. It wasn't as good of a beer, but it was still very good. And they might, I don't know, it just seemed like they took that off. They might not have, but. Paul, are you drinking something from Hamburg as well? Yes, I am. In these uh, tight economic times, I have gone back to the, uh, or just the standard bag and board cast tradition of buying just a variety pack. <laughs> Whatever I can find. So the, I bought a, their Hamburg Brewery's 12-pack uh, variety pack uh, called the Patio Sampler or something like that because they were kind of uh, tooting their own horn about the nice patio they have at the brewery. And it, it is a nice patio. It's a very nice patio. Nice patio. Uh, and right now I'm drinking one of their fruited, uh, they call it a Mangolicious Ale. It's their 2-2 Mango. And uh, it's nice. It's a sipper. It's a 4.8%. This is the heaviest beer, or the biggest boy in this uh, bridal pack, I believe. The other one that I'm not going to drink on the show today is uh, Lakeview Lager. It's, if you pick it up in the 12 pack, you put those three in your fridge and just wait until somebody asks you for a little bat or a uh, you know Budweiser or something like that, and you just pour that into a glass and give it to them, and they won't notice it, you know. I doubt they'll notice the difference. Um, but Tutu Mango is probably my second least favorite out of the variety pack. It's okay. It has a slight mango flavor. Maybe it's been on the shelf too long. I don't no. know when it was packed. Okay, this no, is this is a brand pack. new pack. Okay, well, it's just not a, much mango it's just flavor a, to it. It's just a mediocre beer. It's it's your, it's a beer for your you know your fifty year old who's going to the brewery who wants something fruity. You know, like. I don't think when they made it, they were expecting much. They were expecting that novice beer drinker to to have it. If you like Blue Moon, you would like this. Yeah, I would. I would agree. You know, it's not much more than that. So you got your you got your like few longer for your Labatt drinker and uh, your your Molson Canadian drinker. You got the two two mango for your. Uh, Blue Moon Drinker, and uh, later on we'll get to some decent beers. Chris? Well, I'm actually, I'm starting off with a pretty decent beer, and this is from uh, Dead Lizard Brewing here in Orlando, Florida. I've been trying to support local breweries in this downtime. Uh, 
just because everyone's suffering and, you know, drink local, you know, support the breweries that you care about. And Dead Lizard puts out some solid, solid beers for such a small place. Uh, and this beer is actually a collaboration with Toll Road Brewing, uh, which is another craft brewery out of Ocoee, Florida. Uh, and this was something that actually brewed for the Orlando Craft Beer Fest, which was canceled due to, uh, you know, the pandemic, which it's okay because they're still selling it at the brewery um, here as well as Toll Road Brewing. Um, it's available in four packs, but it is a uh, New England IPA that's brewed with Azaka, Huel Melon, Mosaic, and Rakao hops, uh, also with mango, and then they filter it through oats. Um, so it's pretty hazy. You get a nice, like, tropical fruit pop on it. Uh, it's just a great, crisp beer. I've, I picked this up, I want to say Sunday or Monday, I can't remember what day I went to the brewery to get it. Uh, and it's actually been a challenge to hold on to this last can for the show. Um, I planned on making a beer run today, so I thought about actually drinking this yesterday. But I was like, no, I can I can hold out for a day. But it's fantastic. Uh, I absolutely love it. And it's also uh, one of their vegan-friendly beers. They stamp it right on the side. Uh, they have a few different drinks that are vegan-appropriate. So you know what? Hey, you're vegetarian or vegan, and you're in the Orlando area, and you're looking for something great to drink, you know, pick it up while they got it, because it is a limited-time offering. Would it, would it almost all, like, wouldn't all beers be vegan except for Jack Abbey's ham beer? Um, well, pretty much anything that's brewed with um, milk sugars would be considered vegan because it's okay. based off of, um, yep, like, the lactose. And then depending on your, not to quote Scott Pilgrim, but your level of veganism, um, a lot of vegans will actually stay away from honey as well. Because it is an animal byproduct, even though it's not taken like by killing the bees, it's harvested from them. Um, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. You learned something today. I did. Glad I, glad I could help you, just like you helped me with my uh, my <laughs> ounces and sizes when it comes to everything. Yeah, no problem. No, and we can learn some more by heading out to the news garden, right, guys? Yeah. That's right. Let's news it up, Garden. So that that's, we can geek. That's how we always started off. Don't don't think I say that every week. You just you don't remember it. I know we've talked about Black Widow getting pushed back, uh, but in now they have an actual rescheduled date for the Scarlett Johansson Helm movie. It's gonna be coming out now November sixth, which was the release date for the Eternals which now will be February 12th, 2001. And then move. the release date for the Shang-Chi, Legend of the Ten Rings, which then moves back Doctor Strange and the uh, Multiverse of Madness, which yeah. then moves back Thor, Love and Thunder. So, so yeah, every movie's kind of shifted back. And then I believe Mulan was supposed to be the first one because they actually had the world premiere for it. Uh, the week before, like all the movie theaters shut down, but now Mulan's supposed to be coming out when Black Widow was that first weekend in May, as long as everything goes according to plan. Everything's clear, but yeah, that one could probably be pushed back again. Um, yeah. Bob Iger did come out and say though that after they moved onward to Disney Plus and streaming, 
early. It had only been out in theaters for a week before it got pulled. Um, there is a chance or a possibility that other things could see release on Disney Plus to begin with, but I don't know if they would put out any of those big Marvel movies since those things are such cash cows. Like, I feel like Onward's probably getting a lot of play because I've seen a lot of people posting about it on my social networking stuff just because it's like, hey, you know, this is the new Pixar movie I can watch at home. People seem to be digging it a lot. Um, but I don't... The amount of investment that Marvel has to put into those movies, I don't know if Disney would be willing to kind of like take the hit by putting those out direct to streaming. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think think they would be. I mean, it'd be it's especially because they're already investing in the shows for that. Like that was supposed yeah. to scratch that itch. I mean, it, you, you'd expect that movie to make hundreds of millions of dollars. So I doubt that they're going to just put it out for free. I could see them maybe selling it to. Netflix to have the rights for a hundred million dollars or something like that, something where they can make their money back for what they put into it. But yeah, I don't think they're gonna they're gonna put that out. Do you Just, think they'd be more likely to release it digitally before they put it out to streaming? Because uh, we're recording this on April tenth, and today's actually the day that Trolls World Tour is releasing everywhere digitally. Um, so it's a little bit more of a premium. It's not like you're paying a monthly fee. I think if you wanted to buy it, it's like 20 bucks. Maybe it's like 20 yeah. for rental. I didn't look at the exact numbers for it, but I can see them going for onward. Yeah, I can see them going that route before just putting it on Disney plus. Yeah. But as soon as well, you put like, like I, uh, there's a difference between trolls, like trolls you could put out. And I think you have a niche group of, children who would want to see that and parents would probably buy that for their kids. Plus it's cheaper than taking the kids to, you know, if you have two kids and two parents who are going to go to the movies, that's, you know, almost 50 bucks, 45 bucks. And then snacks where 20 bucks is like a deal. But also you put that up streaming, nobody's going to rip it and torrent it where, you know, like somebody will, but not a lot of people are clamoring for trolls, but Black Widow, you could do that, and I, so many people would probably torrent it or, you know, quote unquote, not not even quote unquote, but st- steal it in a way, yeah. and not pay for it. So I think this is a way for them to make sure that they can get something back. There's so I googled quick just to find out when. Um, the box office for the first Trolls movie was $346 million. So, I mean, that's pretty good it's on a budget of $125 million. Was that uh, just domestic or worldwide? Um, I wonder that's, that's worldwide because it was $153 million in the U.S. and Canada and then $193 million in other countries. Okay. That's not... It's not oh, a little bit of money, but it's not... Marvel movie money either, no. you know. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of deciding with John here, but to go with this, uh, Marvel or not Marvel, but Disney announced that they hit fifty over fifty million worldwide subscribers for Disney Plus this week. So they did launch in India. They did launch in uh, England. 
uh, this past, you know, these past couple weeks. Uh, 50 million subscribers. I don't know if that's a big number. I don't know Netflix's number. I don't know anybody else's number, but they seem to be proud. So, um, I saw Trolls one. I I don't remember almost anything about it. I don't even remember if I finished watching it. Um, and the only reason I would think about watching Trolls two uh, is because the uh, the one podcast I listen to. Uh, the McElroy brothers who do um, my brother and my brother and me and um, Adventure Zone. They did a podcast called uh, The McElroy Brothers Will Be in Trolls 3, where they, um, I think the first episode, they get really high and talk about how they should be in Trolls 3. And then they make their agent and they talk to different people and they actually get themselves into trolls three. And that's the only reason I would watch it would be to hear the quick sound clip of the three of those idiots. Uh, because I think they're just like on a DJ booth going like, Oh yeah, party time. Don't do it. Like they're just sound clips. And that's the only reason I'd watch trolls three. Not that anyone cared or needed to know that. Uh, well, thank you though. Uh, Paul, I googled it. Netflix has 167 million subscribers worldwide. And then I just was googling. I just hit that, and then I uh, did a search for Hulu subscription numbers, and all I'm finding is back in like 2019, and it has like 29 million paid subscribers. But Hulu also has a free service, so it's hard to. Yeah. Really, that's not really apples to apples comparison. Yeah, but I mean, it's impressive for Disney Plus because it's only been out for. What since November? And Netflix has been around since I was in high school. Yeah, yeah, just the just the DVDs. Yeah. And then they like by college there was very limited streaming. So. Yeah, I remember I was I was dating I was still dating Lisa, um, and living at home. And I remember that, like, they had it. And I remember watching, like, I remember watching really stupid uh, Eddie Furlong movie on my computer that kept, like, you know, it kept YouTubing, Paul. It kept freezing on me. And I'm watching this stupid horror movie (laughs) on my computer. And I just like sitting there for like like three hours in a room watching this movie just slowly stream. I'm glad it's gotten a lot better than that. It has. Uh, one of the first movies I remember really like sitting down to stream was uh, at the apartment. Scott and Sam came up, you know, producer Scott, uh, and we watched National Treasure. It's a great movie, though. Great movie. First time, uh, I think that was the first time I watched that movie. Was by streaming it off of Netflix. I had to hook up an HDMI cord, a cable from my computer to uh, to the TV, but it was uh, it worked pretty well. It's a great movie. And that would have been two thousand like seven. So they've been doing it for at least thirteen years. Uh, decent streaming. Uh, so the movie was Brain Scan that I watched. It's it's a pr- it's a pretty good bad movie. But did you guys know that Eddie Furlong's been in 64 different movies? I didn't. I don't even know who Eddie Furlong is. 
Terminator 2 kid. You can't just go around killing people. Come on, Terminator. Say hasta la vista, baby. Paul, have you ever seen Terminator 2? Yes, I have. Okay. (laughs) Yes, that is the subtitle for it. Yeah, he was in that. Do we have anything else? I know it's pretty light just because of nothing been happening. Uh, yeah, I... Oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Uh, one more Disney Plus news. Uh, we're going to get a CGI remake of the 1973 classic Robin Hood. The anamor- anamorphic? Anthropomorphic. Anth- yeah, anthropomorphic. Uh, movie uh, with the super cool fox as Robin Hood. Be you guys excited um, about that at all? Or? Uh, yeah. I always enjoyed the regular movie, so I I would watch that. Yeah, I would. I'm not I'm not kicking down doors for it. Yeah, I mean, I would be more likely to watch that than the Lady and the Tramp one because I put that one on, on and like after Disney Plus launched and like five minutes into it, I was like, eh, I don't I don't need to watch this, but I'm not a big fan of the original animated one either. Uh, Robin Hood, I always dug though. I like the uh, the rooster that this is that this is, like uh, the over the overall nar- ah, overarching narrative. Yeah, and he's and he sings. Yeah, he's got that yeah. kick-ass loot. Um, the one thing I, I do have for news is, um, do you guys remember fifteen years ago when CBS nope. used to do a Sunday movie? No. Uh, well, they're bringing back Sunday movies. Uh, it's kicking off May third with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ooh. Uh, something to do for something they're doing this to uh, for the, the the quarantine people. But, you know, something something new, different, something that where the the family's all stuck together. Anyways, hey, why don't we sit down and watch this movie? Which then can stem that family going like, hey, let's tomorrow let's watch. You know, Temple of Doom. Let's watch, uh... What's the... Man, I don't remember the third <laughs> third movie. Oh, Ra- Last Ra- Crusade. Raiders of- Last Crusade. Last Crusade. Yeah, Raiders and the Last Crusade, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, do, do people have VCRs anymore? Because that's all my movies that growing up were taped from the television. Like, the, the original... Co- the, first couple copies of Star Wars we had were, were taped from TV from something and I'm pretty sure they just whatever however they were aired you know uh, yeah I don't think people have <laughs> I don't think they really have VCRs anymore and if they do I don't I think they're they're not using them to rec- I don't think they're using them to record because at this point everyone should have like a DVR like who still has a TV right DVRs, yeah, 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 right? Just record it there, and then you can watch it back. Or if you have Netflix, you can watch it on that, because they have all of the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah. With, uh, with no advertisements. And as we know, 167 million people around the world have have Netflix. I don't know, like, see, I don't know if people sit down and just watch movies like that anymore, though, like, especially on broadcast TV. Yeah, 
there's so much stuff available for streaming. Like, as you said, the movie that they are premiering. I usually, I don't. There's very few times that I turn on the TV and I ever get like looped into like what's actually there. You know, before you would be like, you would be scrolling through the television, you know, through the stations and you land on something and start watching it. And, you know, there's that classic joke. You already own that movie on, on like DVD, but you're watching it anyways because it's on already. And why start it again? Uh, but yeah, I'm like constantly just load, going right to source and just loading up, you know, my, my Google Chrome cast so I can stream something to my television and it's, not channel surfing. So why would I even stop on a movie? Do people subscribe to TV Guide anymore? I don't think so. I think now you just Google like what's on TV or most cable providers now have the like the digital like scroll of like yeah, what, what's yeah, playing but when. It doesn't show you what's happening on Sunday night. You know? No, you, I, I mean, you can, yeah, you can skip ahead like I don't even have cable anymore, but back when I did, used to just be able to say like, oh, hey, you know what's showing the sign? Or if I want to look and see if something was airing, because um, that's right when I got into uh, Star Wars Rebels, I was able to look and see when Rebels was playing and then I could set the DVR to be like, oh, you know, record this episode, record this right. episode. Oh, I already saw that one. So skip that one. Like, I don't know. Weird times, man. Weird times. Yeah. With all this talk about streaming stuff, is there anything coming up in your queue that you guys want to keep an eye out for? Yes, my Jack's Abbey craft lager. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, actually, I've been... Uh, um, somebody posted on Facebook last week that all of uh, the... Uh, Canadian show Kenny versus Spenny is all on YouTube under Kenny Hotz, uh, the Kenny of Kenny versus Spenny. Uh, it's all on there, uh, free to watch. And uh, I've been watching. Uh, I've been watching those. Um, there are some that are just uh, the premise is uh, two best friends compete in challenges um, against each other the end whoever loses the challenge has to do a humiliation um and then the the thing is 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 kenny always cheats or finds a way to um beat spenny and spenny always tries to play by the rules um you instantly dislike spenny and you like kenny and you kind of always want him to beat Spenny in whatever way he's come up to it. Uh, one of the episodes was, was uh, who could win a 10-mile race. Uh, Kenny faked his mom's... or Yeah, Kenny faked his mom's death and had Kenny drive like an hour away to the funeral, which was somebody else's funeral. And then Spenny drove all the way back to find and run... 10 miles in his suit and actually beat Kenny because he's really, <laughs> really out of shape. Uh, but it's like, it's Kenny always goes extra ludicrous and crazy. And it's where Kenny will go that no one will ever think of 
to go and how he will screw Spenny over. And it's a show, I mean, I think the first show aired in 2002. Like, it's an older show. It The quality doesn't look that great. But I, like, my wife kept yelling at me because I was, like, it had me just laughing so hard. Like, she thought I was going to wake up the baby. Like, it's so, it's so stupid. But I enjoy watching whatever train wreck is happening on that show. Well, everything you do is going to wake up a baby, John. I know. Because you, you wear... You wear uh, well, I wear those wooden clogs. You wear the wooden clogs, and you wear the symbols between your knees, and, you know, you're like a one-man marching band. And I, and I have loud, triumphant farts. Oh. I always thought you just sat on whoopee cushions, but... Oh, yep. Yep. Makes more sense. <laughs> That's the thing that gets you. That's what makes me laugh. Uh, uh, Paul. <laughs> What's in your queue? Uh, I, much like everyone else, have gotten sucked into Netflix's Tiger King this past week. And when I say this past week, I mean I watched the entire season in one sitting on uh, Monday or Tuesday. It's such a train wreck. If you're anywhere online, you've seen or heard about this. Um, this coming Sunday, so April 12th, there's going to be the Tiger King and I, an after show hosted by Joel McHale that's going to feature brand new interviews uh, from some of the people that were involved in the making of this. So some of the people that were at the GWZ uh, be coming back to give more information and answer questions about just what the hell was going on there because man, if you want to talk about train wrecks, you think they're pretty much every sing- every single person on that show. Do you think they're going to talk to that bitch Carol Baskin? Uh, no, um, she is not on the list. Uh, well, she came out to say that it showed her in a bad. bad but that's life. everyone after any documentary comes out, though. It's and again, you know, so much of it is just placed in the hands of like the editors and the director and the producer of that. You, you're getting the story that they want you to see. So, yeah, you know, ev- everything should always be taken with a grain of salt, but, you know, you for what ki- it is, it's... Do you it's think crazy. she killed her husband? I think she did. <laughs> but, I mean, there's there's also a chance that, you know, that dude just up just, and went to Costa Rica, and she saw the opportunity to, uh, to capitalize on it, or she had an inkling of a suspicion that he was going to go, and that's why they did that... Uh, updated uh, Last Will and Testament, so who knows? Yeah. But yeah. Paul, have, have you seen it? No, because he said I might just get really annoyed and angry about it, and everything that I heard about this show makes me feel like, yes, I'll just get really annoyed and angry at everything that's happening in it. <laughs> and I'll hate, well, I'll hate not only the people in the show, but I'll oh. hate all of the society for letting those people exist. Some of the people not, you like. Uh, you like them, but they're not likable people. <laughs> no. No, um, I'm not going to like them. Well, also, this past week, his, uh, well, when I say his, I mean Joe Exotic's country album was uh, number one on Amazon's country uh, albums list. So he's he's getting support in other ways besides the, the documentary. What I... What I love is his country album, too, is not sung by him. 
he hired somebody else to sing the songs. It just bothers me that all those people have more money than I ever will, and they're just <laughs> just nuts. But yeah, Paul, what are you looking forward to? Uh, now, when I say nuts, I mean Travis's golden nuggets hanging out. Uh, he brought I, up at the funeral. What I, I'm sorry, Paul. Before we get to you, I just can't. I can't believe they had like the footage of like his husband like shooting himself in the head, and then yeah. like at the funeral. He was dressed like a priest with his cowboy hat on. Talking what about, about when that, testicles? When that guy gets his <laughs> when that guy gets his arm bit off by the tiger, and then he goes he, he goes and puts an EMT coat on. Oh yeah, and it's got a sheriff badge on it too. Like <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. No, no sense. Paul, go ahead. Uh, I've been reading slowly because I, I'm having a hard time getting through it. Uh, ABC Squadron. Uh, it's the uh, book from Del Rey Press, I believe. I'm forgetting who's doing the who actually wrote it, uh, but it's part of the uh, Star Wars new Star Wars novels. And I was like, oh, cool! Like everybody talks about how cool Rogue Squadron was. Let's read this. Uh, and I ended up enjoying the one or two comics of uh, what was the Squadron name. Um, it was a comic, Marvel uh, did a, the TIE Squadron. I think we read one of them. It was on my list a couple times, and I'm blanking on the name of the comic book series. Uh, Shadow Squadron, that's it. Pretty sure. Uh, and this basically is the sequel to that comic book series, you know, miniseries, in, in a novel form. But I'm having a hard time with it because they're not really capturing that high-energy, like, dogfight. Like, stuff that you really want out of a, you know, book about rebel pilots, you know? You want that happening. And right now, it's, like, them building the team, and it's, like, five chapters of just, like, discussing where these pilots are. They're, you know, bruised, battered after a long war or a long conflict, and now they're trying to clean up the remnants of the Empire. And everybody's kind of tired of war but they're still, like, putting on their helmets and going out there. And then when you do get a dogfight scene, like, I don't know, that energy, that the descriptions just aren't putting me in that place and in that mind frame. They're not putting me in that cockpit. So uh, I'm have, so it's going a lot slower than I thought it would. I thought I was going to start reading a chapter and not be able to put it down. And uh, this not so much. Well, you know what you might be into more? Some beer? Your next beer. Nope. But I'm drinking for a still from Hamburg Brewery, just like I said at the top of the show. Blackberry Goza. Goose? Goza? And they list this as a session ale. And that's true. It's 3.8% alcohol by value. But aren't all Gozas and Sours like low alcohol? No. No? Okay. No, I mean, Southern Tier put out those Imperial ones that were close to like 8 or 10. Minky Boodle is uh, 7%. So it, so it can be both a Goza and a Session? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's under, what, it's got to be like 4.5%. It's got to be under 5% to be considered a Session beer. Right? I don't know. I'm asking. I thought we, we had a whole episode about this years ago. Uh, guess what? We do a lot of drinking between then and now. 
And I'm continuing that by enjoying this Blackberry Goza. This is nice. It's a decent sour. It um, it isn't too vinegary. You know, sometimes you can get that sour and it's just like kind of tastes like you're sipping vinegar. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little bit of that with this, but not a ton. And the Blackberry does shine through. The fruit does shine through a little bit and brightens it up. And uh, But it's that nice, easy sipping sour. And I think that pairs great with it being a session. Now, a nice sipper and also low alcohol. If you want to drink all day, guys and gals, uh, you know, stick with your sours. Your sessionable sours. Well, this has been a very successful one since they put it in package. And, uh, no, it's a nice, it's a, it's a really nice drinking beer when you're at the brewery and you're sitting on the patio <laughs> over the summer. It's a great beer to have. And it's a nice sour to have for that price point. I think it's like in the pack, you know, it's probably like sixteen ninety nine for the pack. Um, <clears throat> but it's eight ninety nine for a six pack of it, which is a decent it's a great price for a, a decent sour, refreshing beer. Chris, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking another local Florida beer. And this, as well as my next one or two, depending on how far we get through everything today, uh, are all from Sideward Brewing, which is right in downtown Orlando. And I'm drinking their NAR, and that's spelled G-N-A-R, like gnarly. And this is their Mountain Dew Berliner Weiss. Uh, yeah, it's a nice, crisp, lemon-lime sour. It's it's fantastic. Like it, it doesn't feel like I'm drinking a beer. It is a little boy. It's only 4%. Um, sessionable. It's sessionable, and it's just if I got this out of like a CVS or like Walgreens like soft drink case, I I believe it. It's like nice tart. It's got like a good sweet on it. It's a semi-alcoholic Mountain Dew. It's fantastic. I got a crawler of this. Um, from the time that I sat down, when we had a little pause, I've already drank half my glass. It's it's crushable. It's fan flipping tastic. We'll, nice. we'll definitely hit up um, Sideward next time you guys come down because it's maybe like a twenty minute drive from my apartment. Like it's not too far. It's not bad where I'm at, but yeah, their their beers are great and they have like small bites and sandwiches and stuff too. Definitely worth checking out. Um, uh, and the whole reason I because I've had heard of it before, uh, but one of my friends, um, one of the things about living in Florida is everyone always has access to the theme parks. So when you hang out with your friends who always go to theme parks, that's what you wind up doing. Uh, since I hadn't really done too much stuff in Orlando besides, you know, Disney and Universal things, one of my friends was like, okay, well, you know what? Every time we hang out, we're going to do something besides Disney or Universal. And this was one of the places that she recommended we go check out. And because she knows that I like beer and she likes beer too. Like, uh, I shut my headphones. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this place is, it's awesome. Like, it's fantastic. Nice. I'm looking forward to. And you know, well, I still is. haven't. I still haven't canceled my plane tickets for uh, the end of April, so maybe I'll see you down there in a couple of weeks. 
hey, you know what? I'm probably still not going to be working. And actually, even if I do go back to work, I requested that time off anyway. So, <laughs> so hey, I, I've been inside for the last month. I have no symptoms. So, you yeah. know, uh, come on down. Come on down. Uh, and I'm drinking from Jack's Abbey, uh, which is out of Massachusetts. This is shipping out of Boston. This is an amber lager. Uh, amber lager coming up at uh, 5.3%, 16 ounce, six pack uh, cans. And this is just a really nice amber lager. You get a really great maltiness to it. It has a really nice, smooth creaminess on the tongue. And this is just like um, a really solid, solid beer. I really like it. Um, yeah, I probably would have, I would not have a problem just porch drinking this beer in the spring, in the fall. Like, just really, really great beer. Paul, if you think of like, um, Rusty Chain, mm-hmm. think of that like as a really good craft beer. Ooh, actually, nice. Yeah. So, <laughs> Rusty Chain. Rusty Chain isn't bad. It's not bad, but it's also purgatory. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's better than Aviator Red. Only during the times that we've gotten Aviator Red, and it isn't as good as Aviator Red we've gotten in the past. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we went to this really crappy dive bar that has really good like wings and chicken fingers and stuff, and we got a we got uh, rusty chain there, and it was like oh, you know rusty chain with a nice chicken wing and stuff. It was a really nice pairing, um, and that's the last time I've I've and probably one of the first times I've really enjoyed rusty chain. But uh, shipping out of Boston, really great from Jack's Abbey. Uh, like it a lot. I kind of wanted to go, uh, I have a rye IPA, and then I have more of a New England IPA for my other beer, so I thought, hey, this is a great beer to refresh my palate between those two beers. So, cheers to you, Jack's Abbey. And now, the Bagden Lordcast proudly presents a dramatic reading from things that were once called comic books. Journey to Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Allegiance, number two, page 12, panel one. We have learned from the mistakes of the Empire. They were too lenient. And that... You picked it, man. Dramatic reading from Journey to Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Allegiance, number two, page 12. He picked it. You should know when it's going to end, Paul. You open up a page, (laughs) pick a panel, and you send it. That's the rules. Those are the rules. Those are the rules. And another rule is that we have a weekly rotating main topic, guys. As we set it up at the start of the show, uh, it's time for part 11 of our great Marvel movie retrospective. We're taking a look at 2015's Avengers Age of Ultron. So, Avengers sequel, but it's also a sequel to everything else that we've seen in the Marvel Universe up until this point. Um, Because it really does draw from 
pretty much all of the franchises except for Guardians of the Galaxy. Can I say this feels more like a prequel to Captain America Civil War? Uh, I do have that in my notes because I figure like this movie more than any of them, I think it's best to kind of go through like from the beginning through. Um, cause so much draws off of everything that's come before it, but it sets up even more too. Um, and we're going to have to talk about this as we're going through. Cause I feel like this is a better Avengers movie than the first Avengers because it's a big globe trotting adventure. Like it's, Battle scene, battle scene, go somewhere, talking heads, battle scene, go somewhere else, talking heads. Because like, the team's already together. They're already yeah, working the as a like, unit. Yeah, everything's... And this is the team trying to keep the wheels on the wagon versus the team coming together. Uh, yeah. I I don't want to spoil anything for the last part of the discussion of this movie, but I would agree with your, uh, your assessment there, Chris, that this is a better Avengers movie. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to figure I, out where I, I want to put it. I will. I will say this: this is a better Avengers movie, as in, I think it is like the team working together, and it's one of the only times you have them like all on the same side, because the first movie you have everybody coming together as the team, but I still think I like. Avengers better than this movie. But all but also like when this movie came out, I was kinda like, eh, it's okay. And I never really really thought too much of it. And in the last couple months, I've watched it now twice, and I like it more now than I did back when it released in two thousand eleven? Fourteen? Fifteen? Fifteen. Yep. Okay. So only five years ago. Yeah. We're quickly catching up, guys. No, we're almost there. You know, we're half, halfway through the Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point. Um, well, I think this one's what I like about it is that it's a little bit more entertaining, and it starts off with a big battle scene, um, but it's still not too heavy because you get your quips, you get some jokes. Uh, I have in my my notes here one of my favorite lines from the movie. With, they're the Avengers. It's still funny. Like, there's still humor in this. And it's hard to not watch a Marvel Cinematic Universe and compare to a DC Universe movie. Because I know something we're going to talk about later is the big end battle, which, John, you said feels too long. Well, I jokingly said that because Paul said that about the original. Oh, I thought you were being serious about that. Um. But even in those moments, you still have the team quipping and helping each other and other, excuse me, other people. Like there's, it doesn't feel like just needless destruction because there are still moments of humanity in that. And I think we get that right in the beginning here as it sets up uh, two new additions to the cinematic universe with Aaron Taylor Johnson as Pietro Maximoff and Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff. And they're great additions. Uh, they they have a great story arc in this movie. If, also in this movie, uh, Scarlet Witch still has her accent. <laughs> which, which they uh, kind of 
kind of forget about in later editions of uh, the franchise. Well, she quickly adapts to her new surroundings, and, you know. And she probably didn't want to keep doing the voice. Yeah. Uh, and they get away from her being ultra creepy as well, because when you first see her, like in action, like you see her in the background before she attacks Captain America in that big fight, that this fight sequence where. Uh, the Avengers are going after a Hydra base to get the uh, staff that Loki was using. Blah, blah, blah. But she's, you see her first in shadows, except her glowing red eyes. And it's super creepy if you pause it at that time. Uh, that, on that frame, you would think it's out of a horror movie. Like if you just took that well, image. Well, even when Maria Hill uh, is giving the breakdown of you know the two new enhanced sets, Hydra has. You know, she sums up their powers as he's fast, she's weird. And really at the beginning of the movie, they kind of lean more into her like mind control powers, and then later they move more into like the telekinetic stuff. Which they've kind of kept as like the base of the character. Like she's, you know, got those badass telekinetic powers and like the and fight scene for this movie as well as later on. Um, and I just like uh, Aaron Tyler Johnson and both the villain Ultron James Spader were um, Joss Whedon's like first and only picks like for the movie like he wanted those guys specifically and I think uh, James Spader was a little easier to say hey do you want to do this where he actually had to work and kind of just beg uh Aaron to to do the movie because he was kick-ass and uh, he didn't want to get tied down to the major um, major franchise and I think that's one of the reasons why he's he's killed at the end is because he didn't want to get tied to the uh, being having to show up in so many movies having this time frame blocked off to only do this movie and uh I think he's a good. I think he's a good Quicksilver, and I think it's good that he that he dies and he stays dead. I, I kind of wish I could have seen more of Quicksilver in these movies. Um, I, we'll talk about Hawkeye more later, but I think Quicksilver fits more into this movie than Hawkeye does. Like, Hawkeye has a great moment later on that we'll get to. But for the most part, it just feels like, okay, well, we did Hawkeye dirty in the first Avengers movie. Let's try to do more with him now. And those moments come off feeling very forced. And that's not even after repeated watches. It's the first time I saw the movie, I came out of being like, oh, yeah, they were a bit heavy-handed with, like, the Hawkeye uh, bits of it. Because it's not Hawkeye. Because it's not it's not Hawkeye, but even in my notes, I uh, we'll get around to that later. Um, but no, it doesn't feel like Hawkeye. While this kind of feels like Quicksilver, it does feel like Quicksilver. I think he's a good Quicksilver. I like how they do his speed and everything in it. Um, mm-hmm. But like, it's the fact that like as an actor who they hired and he doesn't really want to get con- get pinned down to it, and they kill him. I like one that. You have somebody die in this. And I also like that he stayed dead, you know, 
comic yeah. books. Those doesn't doesn't always happen. Well, I think that's good too because for a movie that's picking up, you know, a, a city threatening to drop it into the earth to create like an extinction level event. It's a comic book movie. We know there's stakes, but that's kind of the big stake from this is like, no, like this is a lasting, a lasting death. Like this was a lasting decision. Cause even in the last movie we had with Captain America civil war, we had like, Oh, you know, Fury's dead. And then he comes back 45 minutes later, like, Oh, he's wounded still around though. I used to, they injected me with a blah, blah, blah serum. It slows your heartbeat to near zero. Bruce Banner developed it to try to calm down himself down to beef the Hulk. Didn't work for him, though, but it works for me. Yeah. Also, on the, yeah. on the Hulk front, uh, this is when we find out his his sleepy time, sun's getting real low, that we see come back later in Thor Ragnarok when Thor tries to pull it out. Uh, it doesn't work so well there, but definitely works here with like the hypnotic suggestion. And also kind of a fun little throwback to the first Avengers movie. We find out um, Hydra's experimenting and working with the corpses of different Chitauri. Like you see like one of the giant snake worms hanging up there. So they're still trying to reverse engineer space tech to their, to their benefits. So John, you kind of mentioned James Spader before. Uh, let's dwell on him for a little bit because I remember hearing a lot of people complain about his deliveries as Ultron. But I think what escapes a lot of people is the fact that Ultron's based off of Jarvis, Tony Stark, and uh, Bruce Banner's personality. So, like, of course, he's going to be a little bit more of a smartass. That's that's all he knows. That's what his AI is kind of built from. Yeah, and I think I think Spader's got a he's got a great voice, and I think his deliveries are really good. And he even has some nice, like, slightly comical deliveries. Yeah, and uh, I think the other thing too that I like is like they hired him in when he they were talking to him, and they were like, "Yeah, we want you to do the voice," and he's like, "Just the voice," and he actually did all the motion capture for it as well, and had to wear like three feet. Um, like a bar, three foot bars on his back with red balls on the end to show where Ultron's eye line is because Ultron's so big. So just think of this like five foot eight guy with three, <laughs> three feet of like bar on top of him performing with these little red balls floating above him. Like, I think he does a really good job. <laughs> one, I, I mean, how can you, how could you act like that? One, and then have people like actually think like I, I thought he does a great job, and uh, the actors on and the the crew also thought he did a really good job. Um, Olsen actually would constantly have to be reminded to look at the red balls because she he'd start performing and she'd just start watching him deliver his lines because he's. He has such like a nice like he's got a gravitas that draws you yeah. in to have you look at him, and that's the thing because or maybe go ahead, Paul. Or uh, it was just going to be a bad joke. <laughs> okay, I, I, thanks for stopping me. No, I I'm glad I was able to do some good today. Um, no, because I really love his portrayal of Ultron as well, and the thing that I know him most from 
is actually just going to be the office because I constantly go back and rewatch and rewatch and rewatch those episodes. So I've seen him as Robert California more than I have in any of his other roles because that's my comfort view. Like that's what I watch, you know, after I get home from work and just want to unwind. And I hate that character so much, but I think it's because you're supposed to like, that's, you're not supposed to like this like slimy, wormy boss that comes in and like ultimately just takes over the company. But I, I really dug Ultron as a villain because it's different from other villains we have because yeah, it's still kind of mustache twirling at points, but he's having fun with it. Yeah. And he's self-aware because he even says, Oh, well, let me take this time to explain my evil plan to you. And then he blasts everybody. And then even in the last battle, he says, you're not the only one that's stalling. Mm -hmm. Like he's, you know, he he knows the game and he's playing along with it. Like, you know, he he understands that he's a villain. He understands that killing the Avengers won't solve the problem. They need to fall from the inside and we'll get that in the next kind of Avengers movie. That's why he wants Scarlet, you know, wants to use Scarlet Witch. Yeah, I mean, we do get the, the first, like, Ultron battle with, like, Ultron Mark I back at Avengers Tower. It's not just Stark Tower anymore because the Avengers are kind of set up in this space. Uh, and this is where we actually get our Stan Lee cameo. <laughs> Stan Lee as a, uh, a drunk World War II veteran. I have to say that the quieter character scenes in this movie are, you know, that's what I like about it. Like, the, the fight scenes are fun. They're decent, especially when you have Quicksilver running around. His action scenes, you know, you add that to the mix, I think it elevates that as well. But, like, the party scene, the scene later on at the farm, like, that's that's what I'm coming, you know, that's what I really enjoy about this movie. That's what puts it over the top for me over the original Avengers movie. With this one, with the party scene, I think we get to see these characters more as, you know, who they are outside the costume. I think it's a great team building atmosphere in this. And the at Hawkeye's safe house scene later, for me, that's just, it didn't resonate as much because that's, that's them kind of, you know, trying to recover after like the losses that they just had. But the party scene, it's just fun to actually see these characters interacting with each other when there's not some big threat looming, you know, see them joking around. You know, Rhodey trying to tell the story to the rest of the Avengers and it just doesn't resonate with them. But as soon as he's talking to the normies in the party, like that story kills, you know, it's those <laughs> moments that, that you look for in this. Um, yeah. Well, even just the, I mean, the moments with Bruce Banner and, you know, Natasha, you know, and then Cap coming up and be like, hey, it's nice. Like, what's nice? Like, she's flirting with you. And he's like, eh, she flirts with everybody. He's like, no, I've seen her fake flirt. <laughs> I know that firsthand. That's, uh, this is something different. Like, those are nice, just really nice moments with those characters. And uh, even the, at the farmhouse, like, with between those two characters, it was like, we, we've done enough. Like, let's we can go away together. We can leave all this. And, um, you know, like those are just, there are some good character moments that, you know, like 
when they were written, maybe there was something else planned down the road. And obviously we didn't get the love affair between Hulk and uh, Natasha, but they still play it up in those other movies that, you know, the movies that are coming. But I think there was something that they might have been trying to plan at that time that got scrapped. And I would have liked to have seen something happen with it. Well, I think without knowing what the plan actually was, there's a moment even at the end, towards the end of this movie, I should say, where Nat's talking to Fury and she's like, you sent me to recruit him like all those years ago. Did you know what was going to happen? And Fury's just like, no, like you can never plan on this stuff. But I think those two characters always did have some sort of building relationship. Um, we just didn't get to, to that point because, you know, the story probably had to change and adjust over time. Uh, one of those changes I'll talk about later on, but I think the real moment that stood out for me with this was like the after party where everyone's sitting around trying to pick up Milner. Cause again, fun moments. Uh, but also it kind of comes back later on in the movie where we do get to see Steve Rogers nudge the hammer a little bit, but ultimately later visions able to pick it up too to solidify. No, like, he is good. This matters. Thor made the right choice. Well, also, I mean, if you put if you put the hammer down in an elevator and press up, it still goes up, right? The elevator is worthy. No, but I think um, even in the budding relationship between that and Bruce, you know, uh, because Bruce Banner is obviously, you know, when he's the Hulk, he's a monster. There's no looking at Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow and be like, oh yeah, she's she's a monster. It's you know, it's hard to say that she's a monster. And then later on, like when she just at the farmhouse where she describes herself as an assassin and she you know, she's only dreaming that she could be anything more than that. And what has happened to her is she feels like she's a monster herself and that's a repeating theme throughout the whole movie is that even Captain America says it right before the final battle. Like, Ultron thinks we're monsters. This isn't about uh, just stopping him. This is proving that he's wrong, that we're not. You know, We're better than that. We're going to save the civilians. We're going to do it and do our, do our job. Um, so I think that plays into a little bit of that relationship to explore, like, you know, maybe, uh, maybe everybody's a little bit broken on this team. Except for Hawkeye. Who's the heart of the team? <laughs> who they who they try to make the heart of the team? Yeah, um, they, they really do, and that's the whole point of farm scene. Is to, like, no, no, they need you to be the heart and soul. So. And after Ultron makes his uh his presence known, he heads to uh, South Africa, where we're introduced to another character being introduced in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the universe for the first time with Ulysses Claw, played by. Andy Serkis, who's going to come back later in Black Panther. Uh, But we also see Ultron cut off his hand. So when he does appear later on, he's got his cool laser blaster hand uh, like Claude has in the the comics. So again, introducing something, setting it up that way, as soon as he's in a movie where he's playing a bigger role, he's already established. He's already got that presence. And I love him as his character. Like just that scene when the, they show up with the powers, 
They take the gun out of his hand and all the bullets. They're like, what, are you going to kill me? Kill me. Like, I made my peace. If not, do you want some candy? And he holds out the candy dish to him. Like, I just, re- I love his performance with with this character in both movies. And I think it's just a, a, re- it's a really well done scumbag that's a scumbag and you shouldn't like him, but I like him. Like, I want more. I want more airtime. Like, I want him on screen more. And I actually was really bummed when they killed him in Black Panther. Spoilers. Yeah, I have to go back and I have to go back and rewatch Black Panther again because it's been a bit since I've rewatched it. But I remember liking him a lot in it, and I kind of wish he had had more to do because, again, Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger is set up as like the main villain for that movie, and he does a fantastic job with that too. But kind of wish that you know he had had a little bit more more room to grow in this. Yeah, I mean, it would have been good to have like. Not have killed, not have killed him for Killmonger to to get into the to get into Wakanda. It would have been nice that he helped he helped him out for money and then disappeared. But also, like, who's to say that you know Claw? I mean, the Claw character is like like a villain's essence in a robot body, right? So. He could come back, like as another, another version of Claw. I mean, you got Claw with two arms, maybe, maybe, you got Claw maybe. with one arm. Now you got Robot Claw. Like, maybe we'll see when uh, Black Panther two comes out in like twenty twenty two. I think the date for it is now. Um, again, everything's pushed back. Uh, but ultimately, that leads us to another knockdown dragout fight where we see the Avengers fighting against Ultron alongside Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Uh, we get a little bit more Scarlet Witch weirdness, which kind of starts to fracture the teams a little bit more now, um, with Natasha reliving her training, which I think we'll definitely see more of and learn more about when we eventually get the Black Widow movie. Uh, Steve at a USO dance with Peggy Carter. Always great to see her again. And then Thor's weird... End of the Matrix feast orgy sweaty dance scene with Heimdall. Another office character. <laughs> Another office character uh, with Charles Minor. Um, a lot of the stuff, it just... This is, for me, the time to get up and get a snack or go to the bathroom part of the movie. Uh, only thing I really stand by in the scene is... a. Uh, the reference to another Joss Whedon property with Angel, where during the Thor's feast scene, uh, you see people with a wolf mask, a ram mask, and a heart mask, which is like a big deer, uh, as a reference to Wolfram and Hart, the evil demonic law firm uh, that was kind of the overarching villain in the TV series Angel. Like I don't know this reference at all, yeah. and then he said TV series from an Angel, and I'm like, okay. So after after the first series, it's really good. Uh, up until the final series, like the three in the middle are great. Uh, I have to say, I really like the cinematography. I don't know how to describe it, but the dance scene in the USO for Steve Rogers 
That's obviously. Was there a little off kilter? It's a little off kilter. It makes you feel like it, it's almost like a passage on top of a actual battlefield. You got the one guy dabbing his chest because it looks like he spilled red wine all over his chest. But you know, obviously, that could be a bullet wound that he's dabbing himself with. All the flashes going off from the uh, from the photography. It could be you know flashes of explosions, the big booms. People like flying everywhere. It could be bodies flying because of explosions. Like it gives you that offset sense that at any moment, you know, Steve could wake up in the middle of a battlefield and everything that he thinks is just dance is war. And I, I really enjoyed that. Like, or, or maybe it's all just showing like how easy it is to be re-triggered if you're suffering from PTSD. I don't know, but. Uh, it was good. I thought it was well shot. Yeah. I mean, it's a good-looking movie. No, it's... Yeah, it's a gorgeous movie. Um, but this is also going to lead us into another action set piece uh, with the attack uh, where she triggers off Bruce Banner as the Hulk. And we finally get to see the Hulkbuster armor, guys, uh, with the Veronica Protocol set in place by Tony Stark and Bruce Banner. It's a really cool fight scene. It is. It makes me think. I do want to say, you know, when uh, it opens up and Veronica sends that cage around the Hulk, he just sticks out of it. I'm like, huh, I wonder if the Hulk listened into the conversation about building Veronica and just figured out, all I need to do is dig. Like, it could be. I. Maybe don't involve Bruce in <laughs> conversation about how to stop the Hulk. Yeah. Yeah, there's these two sides of the same coin. No, I mean, like, there, there's some great things, like, where he, um, like, he catches, like, the Hulk punch, and then his arm builds down around him to, like, hold his arm so he can't punch, and then he's just ragdolling the Iron Man suit around, like, uh, and, I mean... It's also helped by Tony, you know, Tony Stark, Robert De Niro, or Robert, De Niro, Robert Downey Jr. Just that, hey Banner, hey Banner, and then he hits him. He's like, oh yeah, right, uh, puny Banner, uh, no Banner talk, and you know, like he punches him a whole bunch of times, and then he's like, I'm sorry, and then gets destroyed by the Hulk. Like, it's a really fun fight that is devastating to the environment around him. Um, even when he, you know, he drops them through that building when they're fighting, and you know the Iron Iron Man's got to jump and catch the uh, the cable the elevator to the elevator. Like there's there's so much going on, and the destruction uh, around it all, trying to calm the Hulk. But even even during all that, they still find moments to fit those in. Where, like you said, where you know he. He knocks the Hulk with a with a punch, and then Hulk just looks at him, spits out a tooth. And then when they are fighting, and the elevator opens up, and you see the guy like start pressing the buttons. It's like a two second scene, but those little moments of levity in it, it just helps these movies so much. Yeah. But ultimately, what we get out of this is the Avengers with another loss, like. This movie seems to be more built on them not necessarily failing, 
but suffering to a stalemate through each and every single one of their fights. And then this is where they finally go to Clint Barton's safe house. Uh, and we meet his, uh, before this unknown family, uh, with Janine Garofalo, his wife. And I really like her as well. It's not Janine. Wait, who is it then? What's her name? It's a girl from uh, Freaks and Geeks. What's her name? Um, Lizzie. Who is it? What's her name? Linda. Oh. Linda. Linda Cardellini. Cardellini. That's it. Yeah. Her. From, gra- she could be from a, Grandma's, a younger grandma's Boy. And she was Velma in the Scooby movies. She was. Uh, but she was in Freaks and Geeks, right? Yes, she was. Uh, I knew that. It's uh, again, this is like a slowdown part of the movie for me, like the the licking their wounds scene. I think I actually skipped through most of this when I was uh, when I sat back down to watch it today because so much of it is just them trying to sell Hawkeye as a character. And I think they have a scene later on that does it better. Um, the only thing really from the scene that I feel like bears mentioning is something that people noticed after Captain Marvel came out last year with where Fury's sitting at in the countertop or at the countertop. And he cuts a sandwich. He cuts the bread diagonally. And we now know through his talk with Carol Danvers, when she's trying to figure out if he's a scroll something that only Nick Fury could tell her was he can only eat bread if it's cut in half. He can't eat it if it's cut diagonally. And he does have a line where he says, here we all back on earth. So this has a little bit of a, a conundrum where it's like, well, is that actually Fury? Or at this point, has he already been replaced by the Skrull Talos? Because we know later on at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home, Talos has been operating on Earth as Nick Fury. We just don't know for how long it's been. Or did Nick Fury, who will be the spy of all spies, just quickly come up with a lie about himself to just tell somebody that doesn't know him at all that that's something that's true about him? Like, it's, it's Nick Fury. His secrets have secrets. Yeah. I think it's more likely that Nick Fury would just lie to uh, Carol Danvers. But, see, at that point, though, it's not Nick Fury's spy of all spies. It's Nick Fury who's just S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Nick Fury. Man on yeah. ma- man with a badge and a gun who gets kind of brought into something. This, so this, is, this isn't this is the Nick Fury that we know now. Yeah, but again, lie for uh, the job you want. Again. Not for the job you have, Chris. Again, that's Nick Fury, like, 20... To 25 years before we see him again. Yeah, but he's not bad at that and then gets better. He's Nick Fury. He's already good at that. No, he's... Did you see Captain Marvel? He's pretty not great at his job at that point. Yeah, but he was supposed to be... Like, when does he do... You know, when does he do the stuff with... um, um, Leatherface? Who's your favorite actor, Paul? Robert Redford. Robert Redford. Like well, that's gonna that's after we see him here because at this point he's still just no, I know, but like I say, he's just like a regular like agent. When he tells the story at the point when he tells the story of like people who were held hostage, we didn't want to do this, and oh, then no. Nick Fury let it in and and saved everybody. Like 
that's when I knew like well, yeah that's is that that's after is that this. yeah because at that point he's already like a higher ranking shield of or yeah shield official because he's already working with uh Robert Redford's character I, I'm blanking on his name now like at that point he had already um, Pierce yeah Alexander Pierce so again that's probably like a good 10 15 years before this Nick Fury yeah but we keep on saying this Nick Fury I'm just saying He's still that Nick Fury. He's he might be a little bit rougher on the edges about it. Like maybe he's not as polished. But Paul, Paul go go back and watch. Come up with a lie. Go back and watch it's Captain Marvel because he, that's they do make that's him, not the Nick Fury. They do make him Dead a little doofy. Week. They make him a little do. They make him doofy. He's doofy. Like yeah. it's it's Nick Fury tripping over stuff as he's going through the file room. It's it's not the same character at that point. Outmatched. He's gonna come. He's, he's outmatched. This Nick Fury's never outmatched. Right. But he's playing. You know, I'm saying he's kind of playing and feeling out who Captain Marvel is in that. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, 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 I'm to get better. I'm, yeah, I'm strongly I'm disagreeing with you on that because country bumpkin either. It, at the like, at the point for Captain Marvel, like twenty years before we see him in this movie, he's he's in over his head. He doesn't know what's what. He he was the agent that they sent to investigate a weird disturbance at a blockbuster. This isn't a guy that they're pulling into secret briefings or anything at all. But they they still trusted enough to train a rookie. It's, it's him and Coulson. They're, they're the people that they send out to talk to the security guard sitting in the parking lot. Uh, sorry, I'm going to move on because this, okay, yeah. this is a this is a bullshit fear. <laughs> um, is is it time to talk about our next beers or is ever? Everyone- uh, it could be. Let me just go grab it. Sorry, I was writing down the time. So my next beer is also from Sideward Brewing, and this is their Double Mad, and this is a English style barley wine. That's been aged uh, in oak with maple. Mm. As soon as I took my first sip of this, I already put it at a five on Untap <laughs> because it's it's just fantastic. And I've drank half my glass so far in our in our little pause. And every time I take a sip of it, I have to sit back in my chair and just kind of savor it because you get that nice kind of tannin from the the barley wine, just like that. That teeiness, but then you get that maple sweet, and oh man, it's a I thing of beauty. Um, Eleven point five percent. I was saving this. There. There's so few of them out there, but that's why when I saw this on their their beer list, when I went up to go get my crawler today, I was like, "Ooh, it's a barley wine, and it's oak aged with maple. Like that's going to be fantastic." And I am not let down at all by this. Um, for my three crawlers, it was $34. I also bought a t-shirt too, just to, just to help out. Um, t-shirt was only 20 bucks. It's a cool looking t-shirt. But I want, I want to say this, it's a really cool t-shirt. Um, I want to say this was maybe 13 or $14 alone. Definitely worth it for the 32 ounce crawler. Um, it's going to be hard for me to savor this. 
because since they are big crawlers, I put the second half of my NAR back in my refrigerator. I covered it. This, I don't know if I'm going to be able to. I think I might continue drinking it for the rest of the night because it's it's absolutely delectable. This is this is what I want in a nice barley wine because it's a sipper. Like you, you can definitely tell there's some alcohol in it, but it's just such a great flavor and sweetness to it that as soon as you take that sip. You smack it around on your palate, but you just want to go right back into it. I oh, I love barley wines. Yeah, this this is great. And, and I'm drinking a beer that I've always loved from Lagunitas, and this is Phase Change, which used to be called Born Again Yesterday. Uh, this is a fresh hopped, juicy pale ale. Um, this is part of their one hitter series. This is a four pack tall boy for twelve ninety nine, coming in at seven point four percent. Drinks incredibly smooth. Um, it's 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 very good. It's really nice on the front of your tongue, and then it kind of ghosts out. Like, it's, like, just missing something at the end. Um, and uh, it's a little, like, Born Again and Born Again Yesterday are just really, really good beers. When Phase Change came out last year and we didn't get a Born Again, it was... Kind of sad. I said, I, I assume this is replacing it because they didn't have anything to say on the package that they are. On this can, they actually say this is what's replacing Born Again. And um, it's good, but it's it's missing. It's like missing love. Everything is there, but it's just missing that spark. And um, I think for the price... Twelve ninety nine for a four pack, seven point four percent IPA, Palel. Exactly what it's, what style it is. Does he just say call it a wet hop juicy ale? It's good. It's it's worth the price. It's worth the prices of admission because you get a good beer. But it's it's missing the spark of what was born again. Uh. But yeah, I uh, I'd recommend it. It's good, but it's just it's missing it's missing the love. It's missing the love. Born yesterday, I really do enjoy, especially when I'm trying to not to be as freaked out as I am on an airplane. Because Jeff Blue uh, serves born yesterday, twelfth and never. So, oh, is it twelfth yep. and never? Okay. Then Twelfth of Never is the one that I enjoy. Well, trying not to freak out while being on the airplane. I'm so freaked out, John, I don't even know what beer I'm drinking. You should get the key lime. I am drinking the, right now I'm drinking the key lime from Hamburg Brewery. And this is an this is they label this as a session sour ale. But the blackberry goes uh Okay, because those mean sour. I see what I see what they're doing now. Also, three point eight percent by volume. 
Uh, this is my favorite out of the pack. Uh, this has that nice key lime flavor throughout. You don't have that vinegary uh, flavor up front that then gets masked by the, by the fruit flavor. This is just key limes throughout, you know, all the way through. Um, very simple, little, very good. I'm surprised because I'm like, oh, I'm going to be so, like, focused tonight. I'm not going to have any kind of haze at all. It's going to be fine. I'm surprised that I'm uh, feeling it now. I'm feeling a little buzzed, you know, after just uh, three very light beers. But I also drank two beers before the show, but they were all... <laughs> so. so technically you've had like five beers then today. I've had beer, yeah, but since two o'clock. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's been an all-day drinking affair because, you know, my hours are getting cut. Um, so when Friday rolls around, they're like, uh, Paul, you're at 47 hours... You're, you know, how much longer do you think you're going to be? Like, probably got another hour. Okay, as soon as you're done, just go home. Because they don't want to pay any kind of overtime. So they're, like, cutting out, like, two, three hours a week. Which is uh, painful. So you got to, you know, now I got to skimp on my beer purchases. And, uh, you know, this isn't a bad purchase, this variety pack. But it's not well, it sounds like half of it, half of it is like good. It. Half of it is great. The other half, not so good. So, yeah, if you can find just the key line can't. alone, I think you can't. Well, then, see, I don't think I can say the Blackberry Goza is uh, is even worth picking up itself. Like, I think you're better off socking a little bit more money away and get some Mickey Boodle or Halt Who Goes There. You know, uh, for the local beers, you know, or the the uh, the berry vision from uh, Big Ditch. It's eleven ninety nine for a six pack. Oh, you should. It's like uh, it's like Mickey Boodle Light. Oh well, then. I'll just get yeah, Mickey three dollars, three dollars more. You get Mickey Boodle for fourteen ninety nine. Four pack Tall Boy. Eleven ninety nine, you get a six pack regular can. Okay, okay, that price point, then maybe. Who knows? I don't know. It'll be whether or not I can find it, and how I'm feeling, how much money I have uh, to to spend on that kind of thing. But you know who doesn't worry about money, about spending things, because he just you know bought a whole building just so he could drop the Hulk on uh, in on it and crash it down. Iron Man. That's true. He's now, uh, he's now giving a, a giving some gruff to uh, Captain America at, at the farm. Yeah, and this is where we first really start to see more of the splintering of the team, which is really going to come to a head in two movies from now with Captain America: Civil War. Which kind of want to talk about this now. Uh, do you remember when originally Civil War was? submitted under the name Serpent Society, and then they announced at uh, San Diego Comic-Con that they're like, oh, we lied to you guys. And then they revealed Civil War. Yep. Yeah, I do remember that. I thought he said, I thought the line was Serpent Society. I think we can do better than that. And then they changed the graphic. It might have been. But it was a, a, for, I think, like a week before it had been Serpent Society before they actually announced it. Because that was kind of the, the like holy crap moment. Uh, 
But yeah, like it's they do a good job of still keeping the team together while showing those rifts in it. Because uh, you definitely you see it building, and you know, assuming you're a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and following the release dates and what's coming up, you know what it's building towards. So every single one of those little like fractures you see, you're just like, oh baby, oh baby. Hello? Hello? No, no, of course not. Okay. I just had nothing to add after the oh baby. It can be oh baby. I'm like... We've lost you a couple times, so we just wait, and then you usually oh. come back still talking. So... Gotcha. No, no worries. Internet's still not great. Wait, but <laughs> I literally can't do anything at like 2 o'clock each you've been day. Using up, you've been out. using up all the internet during the day. We talked about that. I'm using all... I'm using all the bites, guys. Give me the give me all the bites. Uh, and someone else that's taking some bites because uh, they're chewing some of the scenery is Thor, who recruits Doctor Eric Selvig. We get him coming back from the Thor franchise in Avengers uh, to go to some weird water cave where he can get some visions about some secrets. This is another moment that just kind of seems to be kind of shoehorned into the movie a little bit. Uh, it's just a reason for them to finally learn about the Infinity Stones in that overarching present sense. Like It's not that well done, I feel. Because it just literally Thor leaving, like, oh, I gotta go do some shit. And oh, I guess I could sell it to do it. And set up Ragnarok, which is like four years later. Yeah. But again, okay, it's... In my rewatching, I'm going to watch Ragnarok next. Because, you know, during this quarantine time, Kate and I have been going through all the Marvel movies again. And luckily, today, like, it, it worked out that we got to uh, Age of Ultron today. And But I'm not watching them in the actual release order. I'm watching them in the order that I feel works better. And I feel like Thor Ragnarok will work if you don't watch the post credit scenes, especially. I think it'll work better next. Uh, Just because I want some more space between uh, this movie and Captain America Civil War. See, I think as they come out with Thor Ragnarok being like, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six movies away. I feel like it kind of works because at that point Hulk's been gone for I think two years in like the Marvel Cinematic Universe canon. So it's a it's a big deal that you find out that Hulk's on this planet because you know the last time we see him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is at the end of this movie when he flies off in the Quinjet, which kind of explains why he's not present for stuff like Civil War or Doctor Strange. Uh, I, I kind of like that gap just to be like, oh, you, this is a big deal because he hasn't been around. I've already watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 because I think Volume 1 and Volume 2 should be watched pretty close together. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to have that movie in this gap. Doctor Strange? No, I'm going to put right before Infinity War because I don't think that movie really ties into anything else. Really, honestly, um, 
Ex- and I would, I besides like Black Panther right after Civil War. Besides the end credits where Thor pops up to, cause they're going to go look for his brother. So, I mean, if you're not watching like that in with the movie, that could work, but, but also kind of tying, yeah, I'm not watching. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm not watching those end credits. Like those end credits, like even if you try, if you try to make those end credits work in the theatrical release schedule, they kind of break a little bit here and there as well. So they're good teasers. Mm-hmm. They're good, like uh, what if almost scenarios, but they don't. I feel like they're not canon. I feel like some of them are a little bit more than others, though. But uh, we were talking about, yeah, that Thor scene, which is just to talk about the Infinity Stone. But also kind of worth mentioning out of that is when Thor gets the vision of all the stones and where they're hiding. We don't see the Time Stone or the Soul Stone, which have yet to be seen in any of the cinematic universe until we get Doctor Strange or Infinity War. And it's weird that he would know about the Power Stone. Because he has no connection to Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. Yeah, but it was again the vision was kind of hazy, quick flashes. Like we can assume everything that we saw is what he saw. We just weren't in water, being electrocuted with Selvig yelling at us the whole time. But I mean, the big takeaway from it is the Avengers are now aware of the Infinity Stones and just what they are and that they're actually in in possession of one of them now with the Mind Stone. Exposition. Pretty much. So we, mind, so we got the Mind Stone, Power Stone, Reality Stone, and Space Stone. Mm-hmm. Those are the stones that we have seen and know about. Yeah, but then this ultimately leads us into another another action set. Uh, in Korea this time where they wind up getting the cradle that has vision in it, uh, originally meant for Ultron uh, with Natasha being captured. And I have here in my notes, there's literally no reason for Ultron to not kill black widow, but he just throws her in a cage for some reason. I think the the thing is, yeah, he, he lost Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, so he needs someone to like talk to or play off of. Otherwise, it's like he's in quarantine for a couple weeks. But he, but after he just talks to her and locks her in a cage, he's you know making duplicates of himself at that point. He's building a giant you know earth drill. There's no reason for him to keep her alive. Um, like, I don't know. You ever tried talking to yourself? Uh, <laughs> but he does. Chris is saying, but he doesn't even talk to her. Yeah. But I'm going to say to John's point, aren't you more focused on the task at hand if you know somebody's watching? No. But if I'm trying to impress somebody, Chris, I am going full bore, and I'm. Like if somebody's watching over or looking over my shoulder, I'm I'm a lot more focused on the task and trying to make sure I don't screw it up. So maybe that's maybe Ultron just needs that little bit of edge. 
Oh, uh, maybe, maybe that's the Tony Stark in him, where he just he needs the audience to yeah. to play to. You don't have to. Yeah, right. It's the Tony Stark. Okay, I, I will accept. I will accept that because I literally was like he could just kill her right now. Like the Avengers don't know where they are. Like, well, they get the the radio message because she Encyclopedia Browns together some shit. Um, Killer. It's a tre- it's a it's a trench radio. She makes a trench radio. It's a copper wire strung together, uh, electromagnet, and then oh yeah, oh yeah, I had a, I had the Radio Shack uh, crystal radio yeah. kit when I was like eight. Yeah, would that be able to work all the way from Sokovia to Bumfuck uh, wherever they are? It does as long as it's sending out a signal. Is it just means that you know Hawkeye needs to be using something that can pick up a signal from that far away. That's all. I don't know. It's 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 movie magic. Uh, it's part of her super. But also, also some movie magic. Uh, we get them finally bringing Vision to life. Fifty uh, percent Ultron. Fifty percent Jarvis, Tony Stark, Bruce Banner, Thor's lightning. One hundred percent Paul Bettany. One hundred percent Paul Bettany, and it's great to finally have him actually on screen because I've talked about it before on the show uh, when we did our favorite sports movies. A Night Tale is one of my favorites because Paul Bettany is his hype man. I just love this dude and. The fact that he was considering retiring from acting before he got the call to appear just as the voice of Jarvis, like that kept this guy around. And there's just such heart in all of his deliveries that I think he works so well just as the voice of Jarvis, but then seeing him actually on screen emoting through all of that, you know, green and purple makeup. He's, He's kind of the heart of this movie, but once he pops up, because he doesn't know what he is or what to do. He just, he, I think he says, like, all I know is I'm on the side of life. And Ultron isn't. So, yeah, we need to fix that. Oh, Paul Benton, he's, he's, he's great. Like, he's a great choice. I mean, he was a good choice for. Iron Man to be the voice of Jarvis, which is like, you know, he shows up for, what, two days, does all his lines, goes home. Who knew that years later they'd be like, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna yeah. make you an actual character and make you an Avenger. Like, it, it was... Well, even more than that, like, okay, you can't show up in your, uh, your pajamas anymore. Get into fighting shape because you're actually gonna be on screen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're a superhero now. Um, and I think I think he's really he's he's great at the char- he's great as the character. Uh, there's a reason I want to watch um, Scarlet Witch and Vision and Wanda Vision. Like I, I want to see more of this character, and I think he's he's really good in in the role. I had a discussion recently that was, "Hey, Marvel Cinematic Universe, who's who's your favorite character?" And I felt bad saying Vision because he's not around for too long. 
he doesn't do a lot, but as soon as he's on screen, he just commands all of those moments. And I look forward to going back and seeing more of that stuff in things like Civil War and Infinity War, because, man, of all the characters that they have, the one that I kind of want to see more of is his vision. And it sucks that I kind of have to wait for who knows how long to get WandaVision at this point. I have to say that Paul Bentley's lens of warmth to the role that shouldn't be there. You know, because he's a computer program android where all his lines are kind of cold, you know. <laughs> but there's, but he delivers them in such a way that there is heart to it. And that's what I like about the vision. I do feel like the look of him is a li- in this movie. I'm like, it just. I don't know. It, it, it just doesn't feel quite right yet. It, there's something off-putting. I, I said it when we first watched it. I'm, this is my fourth time watching this movie. And I'm still at that point where I'm like, ah, you know, I just don't really love the overdone look. You know, with all the little bits and bobs and the thing covering I, the ears aren't really ears. I think it that's as good as you can do vision in live action though, because until you throw a cardigan on him, <laughs> I, I love vision dad. Like, oh, so he's like, well, no, I walked so much better. No, the door was open. <laughs> I could come in like, Oh, he's just great. Uh, and again, we get talked about it earlier, but we get that moment with him. I don't know how to make you trust me, but we got to go. And he just, hands over Milner to Thor. One of those moments in the theater that just like an audible, like, Oh my God. And I think it's sold even more because we did get that party moment with everyone trying to pick up the hammer. You can't do it. It's not possible. Oh, it's gotta be a trick. Like, Oh, it's your fingerprints. So to sell it, like it, it comes back and it just, it works so good just to sell like, no, you know, a thumb over your shoulder. This is the guy. Well, they've already created the monster once, you know, they already, Dr. Frankenstein did created the monster once. Oops. Did we do it again? (laughs) How long can we make the scene? That's one of my my favorite banner moments in this, where he's just like, I'm in a time loop. Paul, well, who's your favorite character out of the Marvel Universe? Uh, Captain America. Actually, no, no, no. We're going to talk about him very soon. Uh, Ant-Man? The guy that's the accountant. Oh, I know who you're talking about. accountant for... No, finish your thought, John. I'm very excited. I don't know. I... Because that'll make it break it. I just figured it'd be it'd be like some background character that was doing math. That's Paul's favorite character. Is what well, we're coming up to? Is it the fumbling guy that was in Winter Soldier? Okay, yes. I have. I can't launch. The, I can't launch them. Captain's orders. Gets the gun pulled on him. He says he still says no. Then he comes in in this ep, this movie, and he's launching the birds and everything, and he's there. He's in it. And he's like, the boats are loaded. And locked. Topped, locked, and locked. And, 
The book's full. <laughs> They're all set. Uh, I have him in my notes because technically he's his return appearance, and yeah. you know he's he's trusted. Like Fury put together this team to bring these hell carriers to rescue people from Sokovia, and dude's proven himself. He's he's there. Do, do I wish I was? Do I wish I could be Captain America? Sure but I can only hope to be as good as that guy. <laughs> like, there's no scenario where I can actually become Captain America. There's very little scenarios. There's, like, 3% scenario that I could be at least as good as that guy. Uh, so I don't... But at least I got a 3% well, chance I mean, to be him. I don't know if it's... You, you have... You know I, mean? I don't know if it's true, but I, I saw a post saying that uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent that was playing Galaga on the Helicarrier the first time... Makes an appearance too, and like the background, but you could be him. Yeah, I have like a six percent chance. <laughs> You're more likely, more likely to be him, and I could only hope to be as good as that guy. You know, the other guy, John. Who's your well, favorite? I mean, if you're going to go for the event, like the superheroes, uh, I'd say Captain America. I, I I really enjoy it. And Paul, you started to say oh, Captain America, and then you're like, no, that the the guy in the background. Uh, but I do like no, Chris I, Evans' character. Captain America does learn and change in every performance that he's in. He's not the same character in First Avenger. He's not the same character in Avengers. He's not the same character in this. Like he continues to really, really evolve. And Iron Man, like Tony Stark, he changes somewhat, but he's still very driven. He's just that, I'm this, boom, kind of a character where you really see the the heart change and why he can pick up that hammer in the end. Like, there's a reason for it. He's He's an evolving character that continues to strive to do good. No, Cap's, Cap's great, and I think a lot of that is just Chris Evans has so much heart when he's playing that role. Like, anything that Cap says, like, you're there for it. You're, yeah, that's, yeah. this guy's and, right. And it's really funny that, like, Chris Evans has done so many comic book movies before he got Captain America that he really was, like, ready not to do it. I mean, he was the Human Torch, you know, like... He was the, the dude in yeah, Losers. Like, he was the one of the ex-boyfriends <laughs> ex in Scott Pilgrim. I, re- I really want to watch that again. I have it. I just haven't pulled out like my DVD box in a while. But that movie's fantastic. Yeah, and and he's, uh, he's, a re- he's a really good actor. And that really lends itself to these, to these roles. And even like in... Um, I really liked him in Knives, in Knives Out. And he plays like a scoundrel in that. It's it's really good. He's a, he's a good actor who really portrays the character well. I think if Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark is the main character of the first part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, with you know parts one through twenty-two, you know all these movies that tell this story, I think Chris Evans, Steve Rogers is right there behind him. Is like the next like main character because so much of what you see in a Marvel cinematic universe is 
these two characters and how they interact with everyone else. Like it's going to be interesting to see where they go now that they're both kind of off the table. Like who's going to be the next, you know, main character, so well, to speak. Even I, I'm going to supposit this, Chris, hmm. that at the very end of this movie, when Tony Stark drives off and then leaving Captain America to lead the next group of Avengers, that that's actually the handoff there. Well, I think at that point, too, wasn't Robert Downey Jr. done? Yeah. Yes. So I I would say that's that's when it becomes, you know, it used to be Iron Man's arc is complete. Like, his PTSD. Yeah, Steve was really uh, troubling him in Iron Man three. He had the he, be better. he, he had the repulsor cool. or not the repulsor, the arc reactor removed from his chest. Yep. In this movie, he's still suffering from. Hey, I need to do more. Black Widow or geez, Scarlet Witch gets in his head. He builds Ultron. That doesn't work, but he corrects the vision. No, the vision's there. I can hand this off, Captain America. You got it. I'm going to drive off. I think from, and then, you know, what's the next big movie? What's the big next crossover movie? It's not an Avengers movie. It's, so it's Captain America. Captain America. Yeah. It, from now on, it's Captain America's story. It, you know, and then Iron Man, I think, takes kind of a backseat. So, you know, in Endgame, we get the big payoff with for Iron Man. So, I don't know. I, I think so. No, I, I, yeah, I think it was, it would have been, a, if not for behind the scenes stuff, because yeah, I remember he was supposed to be done and then he kind of just stuck around for a bit. So yeah. Well, I think it was this movie to get him back for this movie. He, you know, he got paid a lot of money, but he also wouldn't come back unless Scarlett Johansson, Chris Evans, Ah, Hemsworth, if everyone else didn't get a big pay bump. Because we're making this much money for you. You guys are not paying us that much. I'll come back if you pay me this and you pay everyone else more money. The What, what they deserve. Because basically what Marvel was doing is getting people in cheap, signing them for major contracts where they have to do X amount of movies for so much money and then making huge profits off of these movies, you know, billion dollars with Avengers. Like, Hey, we're, we're, te- we're, we're proven that we're box office mojo. Give us, give us what's due. I, I, I hate defending a large corporation ever, but honestly, when they first signed those contracts, like, the first Iron Man movie, the first Captain America movie, nobody knew no, they, yeah. they would blow up this big. You know, to sign a three, four, or five movie deal, like that was kind of like going great even back in the early 90s, late 80s. Like you hear the stories about how uh, Billy D. Williams got paid for Batman, what, the Batman Forever, because he was, you know, had a contract to play Harvey Dent. In the next what five Batman movies, and they replaced him with Tommy Lee Jones, but Billy Big Williams still got paid. So, you know, I'm 
I think Robert Downey Jr. is right to be like, no, now that we're making this much money and my contract's going to be up, it's time to renegotiate. And it, it is fair for him, but it's also, I think it's a nice gesture that I'm not going to come back and make seven times more what my co-stars are making. If I'm coming back, I want those guys to be making a good, you know, worth. Yeah, it's the quarterback signing a lower contract to make sure there's enough money in the cap so that he can keep his favorite wide receiver on the team. Well, you know who else got some money out of this? Jennifer Conley, who appears as the voice of the new Tony Stark AI Friday. Uh, Jennifer Conley, you might know her from appearing in wonderful but horrible movies like Requiem for a Labyrinth? Or Labyrinth. Or uh, also from Ang Lee's Hulk movie, where she actually played Betty Ross. So, Jennifer Conley appearing again in a Marvel movie as a different character, much like we had Chris Evans appearing as Johnny Storm in Fantastic Four. That's a good catch. I didn't realize who that was. Yeah. Uh, As soon as Jarvis is taken off the table because he's in vision, Tony uploads a new new AI into his system, and it's Jennifer Connelly. Kind of weird that Tony Stark doesn't have a backup of Vision's AI. So, you know, of... uh, Well, he has... To just reload a different copy of Jarvis. He has a few different, like, Sony mini-discs, like, ready to go already. So I think it's like a symbolic passing of the torch at that point where he's just like, okay, well, Jarvis has moved on to bigger and better things. You know, let, let's bring in someone from the bench, kind of. Um, actually, Jennifer Connelly is the voice of the Spider-Man suit. It's actually Carrie Condon, who is the voice of Friday. Oh. I don't know who that um, is. She was in Rome... She's in Better Call Saul. She's in Ray Donovan. Those are her latest things that she's done. I have met. I have never watched any of this. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I don't recognize her. That's fine. It's okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, again, another big knockdown drag out battle scene where, uh, we get everyone kind of making the move on Sokovia where we have the Avengers trying to evacuate everyone off. And then we have Ultron and his drones moving into attack. And then ultimately, like we said before, raise up the city to drop it. Uh, And at this point, we've already seen kind of the turn with Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver where they've already learned Ultron's plan. And, you know, they're, they're not drinking that Kool-Aid anymore. So at this point, they started to defect to the side of the Avengers, but this is my favorite moment in any Marvel movie. I think it's the moment with Hawkeye and Scarlet, which kind of hold up in that room. And I think this is where we get Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye is the most Clint Barton from the comics that we got where he's cities in the sky, robots are attacking. I've got a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. It's this conversation where I feel we get the most Hawkeye Hawkeye 
in the cinematic universe until hopefully we get him in the Disney plus show. Um, and it's just him having that talk where none of this makes sense, but I'm here to do my job. Yeah. You can do your job too, or I can call your brother. It's fine. But you walk out that door, you're an Avenger. And that moment still kind of gives me chills when I watch yeah. it. You got superpowers. Everyone else around here has got superpowers. I have a bow and arrow. Like, why am I, like, what am I doing here? But I'm just fighting. I'm, I can't look out for you. You know, it's a, it's a great moment. Uh, Cap's got another great line too, where it's like, uh, you get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. You know, it's another just. Yeah, my. No, go ahead, Paul. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was saying, both my myself and my wife, we looked at each other in that moment. And we're like, "It's great. That's so good." You know, walk it off. And I checked the time. Uh, as soon as all the Sokovia stuff starts, there's half an hour left in this movie. So, like the last quarter of this movie is all climax. But it's so well done, like. There's a lot of pieces still getting on the board when the Sokovia starts. Uh, starts, so you still got, you know, Hulk needing to get there with Scarlet uh, with a uh, Black Widow because there's that moment where they're like, "No, I'm here to break you out and get you off the board." Like you and me, we're done. Like you did great. You let us. You let everybody know where you are. There's too many civilians around. The cult can't be around this right now. You don't have any superpowers. We're, we're getting out of here. We're getting out of Dodge. And then she basically throws Bruce Banner off a cliff and is like, I need the other guy. And they go to, to complete the they, job. They go be avenging buddies because, like, at that point, Hulk's down. Like, Hulk knows, like, okay, I'm going to jump around and do some shit. I got to bring little red hair girl with me and then uh, wait to smash. And then they're still setting the scene of what the actual plan, you know, what the evil plan actually is. It takes a little bit to get the uh, city to start going up in the air. Uh, you got Tony Stark trying to figure out what's actually going to happen. He has a little break of like, oh, we got all the civilians kind of rounded up, but there's no place to go. And then, like, what is it? 15, 20 minutes into that fight that you get the helicarrier come up, and my favorite character <laughs> from the Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. show up to save the day, to launch them boats. Well, and that's the thing, because at this point, we see S.H.I.E.L.D. coming back. And this isn't just, like, the shell of S.H.I.E.L.D. that we've had and stuff because if you're watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. throughout all this, yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s already been kind of dissolved, but they're still kind of operating in the shadows because they're not supposed to exist anymore. Uh, but this is the official S.H.I.E.L.D. with Nick Fury and Maria Hill at the helms, literally. The helm of the helicarrier with, as I wrote down, fumbling agent from Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier uh, with a special appearance from uh, War Machine again. Because this is Rhodey's first appearance as War Machine outside of Iron Man 2. Like, this is him 
actually get to do some of the big hero stuff again. And it's a, it's a great moment because I think I'm just as excited to see him in the battle as, as he is. Yeah, he even comes out and it's like, oh yeah, here I am. And then Vision comes out and like just fizzes through things and blows him up and he's like, uh... And you know, War Machine's like, yeah, this is a War Machine story. Then Vision shows him up and he's like, oh. Like, <laughs> he's like, who's that guy? Uh... But just, again, not to keep harping on it, but that moment of them, S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, up, appearing to rescue civilians. It's, this isn't a movie of just, just mindless destruction, show buildings falling down. Like, there's still that human component to it, which which gives it that heart and just gives it that kind of resonance that I think you need in a superhero movie. Cause if you have a superhero movie and you remove all humanity from it, there you get a DC comic, you get a DC comics movie and there's no stakes to it anymore. There's, there's nothing that you care about besides just seeing people hit each other. And that's the speech that, Captain America gives on the Quinjack going into Sokovia. He's like, "Hey, there's gonna be there's gonna be civilians in play. They didn't ask for this. We got to get them out. This fight isn't about defeating Ultron. Ultron thinks we're monsters. This fight is about proving him wrong. And that's the whole movie. It's like, are, are these superheroes or just?" Uh, what does Baron Baron Von Stryker refer to him as? Circus freaks in costumes, sir, uh, costume super freaks. Um, yeah. And they they come out as heroes. And I'm just saying that this fight scene could be a little shorter because you could kind of get those pieces moving a little bit. Well, there's because the whole fight scene revolves really around the whole key, you know, and. It's halfway through the. It's like three quarters of the way through the fight scene before all the Avengers are there at the church to defend it. Well, and that's that's the thing because they could cut out all that stuff with them saving the people. You you don't need to have Shield coming up and loading everybody into the lifeboats. You don't have to have Captain America, you know, grabbing the woman that's been like tossed over the side. You don't have to have. Thor catching someone in their car. Like, you don't need those moments. But I think it's a cognizant choice they made to be like, no, like, this is the reason that they're here. They're not here just to punch robots. They're here to save those people. And this is what I think elevates it because, yeah, you could have cut that out, save some time. We don't need to have those moments between, you know, Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch where he's like, no, like, this is what we do. You're in or you're out. But it's those moments that make it more powerful and give it that like sense of hope that elevates it over what we have in the DC movies. Because, again, e- easily, you know, you need to shave a couple minutes off. You can cut those, and you still have kick-ass I'm fight scenes. That you, you trade those moments that you just listed, Chris. I'm just saying that the helicarrier can show up like five minutes before that. Like, we don't need to have the constant, like, oh no, everything's the worst right now. Up, oh, Deus Ex Machina! Here's the helicarrier! You can cut down the beginning fight scenes, 
have them saving the civilians and the helicarrier showing up to save the civilians. So you don't need to round up the civilians in just a small building first and then get them off. You can do all the saving. You can have all those moments and have that helicarrier there already and cut out ten minutes of that fight scene. Yeah, but you need to like you need to show you need to the pacing of it. If you cut some of that out, the pacing's off. And I think having, I think I think it's fine the way it is. You have a good, you have good pacing. You have, you know, the people showing up. You have all the character moments. You have them up winning. You have them down losing. You have them coming back together again as the teams. Like it's it's cliched, but you need those moments all around so you can have the the upswing on you know when they're 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 down and you think they're about to be beaten they they come back and they say no we're not beaten we're the avengers well they're not even saying that they're beaten they're just like yeah scarlet witch says yeah i wouldn't say we were going to get off this rock like we're going to blow it up and we're going to be on it we just need to try to figure out how to get the civilians off of it. And if we can't get the civilians off of it, there's no way we're leaving it. You know? Yeah. But you need those guys fighting that whole time to to get to that point. I don't know. I think... Uh, I think... I, I don't... I think it's a good fight scene. Uh, 30 minutes? I mean, it's, it's 30 minutes because it's not all just fight scene. There's a lot of... Like those human moments that you know we've championed earlier, where it's the team doing everything they can because it it is a losing battle. It's not just them like fighting all of these Ultron robots. We now have the city flying in the sky, and we don't know what's going on because Tony's kind of the only one in the know at that point. But they're still just doing everything that they can just to save what's there because it's an it's insurmountable odds, but they're still doing everything that they feel like they need to do just to get that, get that next person saved, save that next person until you get that moment. And then we get that moment and we're left with Scarlet Witch being the only one protecting the MacGuffin the whole time. And you're like, okay, cool. So, you know, uh, they're doing the cleanup. And then uh, one of the... A lot of people were like, ah, at this moment where Hawkeye gets back to the boat, he's done. He's been beaten up. Up, oh, nope, there's one more kid to save. And he goes out there to save the kid. And we we get the... Uh, we've already talked yeah. about it. How Quicksilver dies. There he is. I didn't see it coming. Well, I, and I think that's why that moment works so well because it's that that deep breath where you're like, oh, okay, like you know, they've saved everyone. Like we're we're doing well because at this point too, we've already seen Ultron beat a couple times. Ultron's already kind of suffered his blows, and he's you know been knocked off the island. So just to kind of get to that point, and then you have Ultron coming back in the hell, like the the Quinjet. It it gives it those stakes, you know. And at original viewing, 
at that moment, I was like, okay, well, yeah, this is why they're building up Hawkeye so much now because they're, they're going to knock the dude out. Uh, but to have that moment with uh, Pietro, who at the, at this point in the movie, like those two have just constantly been at odds with each other. It's, it's a little bit you more. You didn't of a see blow. that coming. But hey, we knew we knew that one of somebody had one of the Avengers had to die because there was basically three mentions that blood will be like Captain America says hey, in this fight. Blood will be shed. Some of us we might not make it out of here. Then you got that quiet scene where Black Widow says, "Hey, I didn't say we were leaving." I, I can think of worse ways to die. I think there's one more mention where um, they, they kind of all agree that this is a suicide mission. That not everybody's getting out. Maybe it's even in that Hawkeye scene. Like uh, with her, uh, Scarlet Witch in him. Like, hey, somebody's going to die here. Like, that's, that's the chances that we're taking. Somebody's going to go out grocery shopping and get COVID-19. Like, you know, it's... It's the world we live in. Uh, so, like, somebody, I think in this movie, like, it's been forecasted enough, it wasn't a shock that somebody was going to die. I think the shock was it wasn't Hawkeye. Right? Well, yeah, I, I think at that point, too, you introduce these two new characters, you want to see more of them, but of the two, I would rather have more Scarlet Witch than Quicksilver. Paul, I can imagine you probably disagreeing with that, as the resident X Factor fan. Oh, Paul! Paul just stepped away for a moment, but I can I can assume that would Paul would want more quicks around John. Uh, I, I I said it earlier. I I like I like that like he died. I like that he stayed dead. I would have enjoyed more, but I don't know who else I would trade for him. You know? Yeah. And I just think like Scarlet Witch has such an interesting relationship to kind of build off of. Because even in this movie alone, we already have her kind of tied to Vision since they're both born of the Mind Stone. Like, they're already kind of tied together. So to see where they wind up in something like Civil War and then Infinity War after it, it again, it, if you know the comics and the history. Yeah. These two characters are already tied together, but to see them fulfill that in the movie, it's completely different, but I walked out of this movie being like, you know, who's really cool. Scarlet witch. And I had never felt that before from the comics because as of when I started reading comic books, she was already kind of on the back burner for stuff. And really didn't have any kind of prominence until House of M, which was, she was just there kind of as that catalyst to set up that storyline. Because even after that No More Mutants moment, she was just kind of there on the back burner. Like it was just a way to launch a new story arc, new line of books. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like Scarlet Witch has never been a character that I've ever really been interested in, except for in these movies and, you know, like you said, like, uh, deconstru- uh, not deconstructed, but yeah, when she's the she's the villain, you know, 
Like those are the only times I've had anything to ever think about it. House of X or any of those. Like it's, it's, it's she's Scarlet Witch. She's there. Like probability control. Like she's nothing. And I think they did a good way of making her one of those characters to watch. Just even coming out of this movie, because now watching a Marvel Cinematic Universe film, like as soon as you see Scarlet Witch on screen, you know that moment has weight to it. I think I like the char- I like characters that have that turn, like they were evil and turned good, but they're always kind of haunted by their past. Um. I think that's one thing Star Wars kind of misses, and I thought we were going to get it, uh, because you get the bad guy that turns good, and then he dies. Vader, and also, uh, spoilers. <laughs> uh, True. You know, they don't need to make up for the past, but Scarlet Witch does, like, and she does make up for her past in this movie, like, and you get a good, like, background, like, yeah, there's a shell that was staring at her face that had Stark written on it. Of course, she like wants to get some vengeance or put a stop to his reign of terror, as she as she would see it, just like so. No, if he's selling these weapons that are just bombing people's villages, like yeah, you stop that guy. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, I even so, yeah. to go back to the Ulysses Claw stuff. I like even when he's talking about Claw, he's like. No, I never sold him anything. There's conferences. You meet people. Like, even at that point, he's like, no, like, dude, dude, shitty. But, yeah, no, he's, he's looking out for his brand. Uh, and are you guys aware of the original script for this that had Captain Marvel in it? Did you see all the posts about um, that? Yeah, it's Captain, Mar- Captain Marvel and he wanted Spider-Man too, right? Yeah, originally, all the stuff that you see with kept or with Scarlet Witch in the you know climactic uh, battle scene was supposed to be Captain Marvel who was going to show up, and then at the very end of the movie when they have you know the new Avengers meeting at the new compound that they have in upstate New York, uh, it was supposed to be Scarlet Witch, Vision, Falcon, War Machine standing there. Uh, but they actually kind of had some hesitation because even though Joss Whedon had put her in the script, Kevin Foggy was like, well, I don't know if anyone's going to know who this character is because she's just kind of appearing in the scene. And then we've got her at the end. Let's hold off on that. So all that stuff was then given to Scarlet Witch, which again, coming out of this movie, she's kind of upper echelon love it Marvel character for the cinematic universe. And I think it was probably a good call to wait on Captain Marvel for a couple more years and introduce her in her own way. Cause I think at that point you're just throwing one more character into a movie at the tail end of it, which as a, as a Marvel fan, you'd be excited to see that, but it would kind of steal some of the thunder from the rest of the characters that you've already seen throughout this entire story. Plus, how does that, like, how does that character show up? How does it make sense? Like, it seems so bizarre. And without seeing without seeing, like, the script and how it was written, like, 
we'll never know. But if you have the gigantic Marvel Cinematic Universe 10-year box set, where they have a lot of the uh, deleted scenes and bonus material, they do have the original shot with just some random blonde actress standing in the Avengers compound who would later be replaced with whoever they wound up casting as Captain Marvel. So it got through to that point, at least where they shot the plates for it. Yeah. People were even saying that, you know, if you look at Falcon, who's Falcon looking at at the very end of the scene, he's kind of looking over to his left and nobody's there. So. Yeah, but that's going to wrap up the movie. Besides we get a mid credit scene. Uh, and this is, opening up with Thanos taking the Infinity Gauntlet from some sort of vault or locker uh, and just saying, fine, I'll do it myself. And cut. Which, who knows where or when that takes place. This goes kind of to what you were saying before, Paul, with the end credit scenes not really making sense or fitting into the continuity. Because we find out later in Infinity War that Thanos went to Nidavellir to get the gauntlet from the, the the dwarf. I can't remember his name now. I'm blanking. No, I... We'll we'll get to that movie, but yeah. You don't need to but yeah, it, it seems like so much of the the Thanos stuff more than anything is just put in as that hook because it's like, oh, ooh, oh my god. To kind of like sell you on yes, this is a bigger story. I don't mind them, but I don't. If you or now that we have those movies, you don't need a teaser trailer for that next movie. Just watch the next movie. So you know, watch it. I don't want to say don't watch credits because you know people should be thanked for the work they put yeah. in these movies. So these are huge productions. Everybody deserves credit for what they did, but. I'm going to say that, but I'm also going to be that guy that's going to be like, ha, gripper. Like, you know, when I'm watching a... I don't know what a gripper is. A grip's the guy that holds holds the microphone. Yeah, he holds the boom mic, yeah. I'm sure that's a lot of work. Uh, Paul, your favorite character is random shield dude that sits at a desk. I feel like on a movie, movie set... You would be like, hey, you know who I want to be? I want to be the guy that holds the microphone. No, I want to be the gaffer. The, person with the, the guy with all the tape. Uh, we don't get an end credit scene, but the last card that appears does say the Avengers will return. And hey, surprise, they do two movies from now with Captain America Civil War. Um, but yeah, I think this movie gives a lot to the Marvel Cinematic Universe also draws a lot from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, so I think the only thing left would be to put it into our ratings, but we got something else to do before we get to that. One last beer before the road. Staying at home. Nobody's allowed to go out. So fun fact, guys, uh, Orange County here in Florida effectively has a curfew between the hours of 11 o'clock and 5 a.m., so... You're not supposed to be out unless you're like on essential business, which is basically like coming from work or going to something important because everything here closes at like eight or nine o'clock now, which is really bizarre. 
But, uh, so which beer are you drinking, Chris? Uh, my final beer of the night also is coming from Sideward Brewing here in Orlando. And this is their Friends and Enemies, uh, sitting at 7.0% ABV. This is a coffee milk stout brewed with cocoa nibs and vanilla. And it's definitely a coffee milk stout because right off the bat, you just get that deep, rich coffee nose to it. And then after you take your sip, that's really when that like nice, rich cocoa comes in with that like vanilla like sweetness on the back end. It's kind of like a throat coat. Like you take your sip and then you just kind of let it wash over your palate. It's fantastic. Like this is a great beer. I haven't checked into it yet on Untapped, but I I'd probably put this at like a four, maybe four point five after I go back and take a few more sips because it's a it's a delicious milk salt. Like this has everything that you would look for in you know coffee milk salt brewed with chocolate and vanilla. Like it's it hits all of those notes, but it's all kind of in shifts. So each one of those flavors is like clocking in and clocking out. And man, their their coverage is there. Like they're doing what they got to do. Hey, I'm also drinking a uh, coffee stout. Hey, it's not a coffee milk stout, but this is from Sierra Nevada. Uh, their coffee stout. Unfortunately, this is a uh, at. Unfortunately, it was packaged on one twenty eight two thousand twenty. Uh, so it's you know sitting on the shelf a little bit. Uh, this is uh, 6.2% alcohol by volume, and it's got a nice chocolatey, coffee kind of flavor to it, um, but not my favorite coffee stouts. Like, I would still want a left-hand coffee stout before I would go out and buy, like, a six-pack of this. This also came in a variety pack. I was, like hesitant to pick up the variety pack because it had pale ale in there and I'm like, alright, well I just had a bunch of pale ale from Sarah Nevada what else is in there? a, a lager oh, eh. okay, well there's a coffee stout, that'll be good, I haven't had a coffee you know, haven't had a coffee stout in a while and also a double IPA in there so I'm like, okay, I'll pick this up and uh, this coffee stout isn't disappointing me it's scratch. It's barely scratching that itch from what I want from a coffee stout, but at least I'm getting that little scratch. So. Wouldn't be my first choice, but it also wouldn't be my last. You should have a friend's anatomy from Cyberd Brewing instead, because this is this is pretty good. Uh, and I'm also drinking a stout. I'm drinking a Guinness Draft Stout. Uh, this is left over from um, St. Patrick's Day. I kind of opened the fridge and was like, I want another beer, but what do I want? I don't want anything heavy. And I went with a Guinness, because to me, baby, that's not heavy. That's my Guinness. Uh, It's smooth. It's creamy. It's easy drinking. It's got a nice robustness on the tongue, but it's not overpowering. Like, I I could drink Guinness all day and not get... You know, it's not heavy for me. It's just a really delicious uh, chocolate milk. And, uh, yeah, it's it's great just to have on hand every once in a while. It's nothing that I often have all the time, but whenever I do have it, I go, yeah, that's a good beer. Uh, talked about it before, but Guinness is one of those beers that if I go somewhere and they don't have any kind of craft beer or 
you know, local beer that I haven't had and kind of want to try on tap. Guinness will be my, like, oh, well, I'll get this because it's known. It's trustworthy. I would drink a Guinness over probably a lot of the other stuff that I have is like my bargatory beers because it's just, it's, com- it's the king of bargatory. <laughs> I think it would be. So as, as we finish up our beers, the only thing we have left is to really add in Avengers age of Ultron to our overall lists which I'm not going to go through our full list, but I'm going to go through our top five. Um, so for me, my number one is Winter Soldier. Number two, Avengers. Three, Guardians. Four, Iron Man 2. And five, Iron Man. Paul's is Winter Soldier, Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America, Avengers. John, yours is Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, Iron Man, and then Iron Man 3. So, Paul, I know you're ready to go. Where does Avengers Age of Ultron fit on your list of the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far? It's in the number two spot. Like, honestly, it's it's right there. Um, just because I put it above the original Iron Man, I'd rather watch Ultron than the original Iron Man. In fact... I might have to put Guardians above the original Iron Man as well and drop that down. Guardians is really fun. I mean, Iron Man's fun as well, but it's... Mm -hmm. Guardians has a little bit... Yeah. Agreed. You got the ensemble cast in Guardians versus Iron Man, which is just riding off of how great uh, Robert Downey Jr. is as that character. Um, and also re-watch- having rewatched all of those movies that we listed in the top five uh, over the past week, uh, you know, it, it makes me re- start to rethink all of this. So, and but, you know, that's why that's why we do this because what is your favorite movie might wind up changing. And John, are you ready to place? Yeah. Age of Ultron, uh, in your Ultron list. would be my right now would be my number four. So Wonder Soldier, Guardians, Avengers, Iron Man, and then Age of Ultron. Which bef- number five, like uh, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, number five. Which, if you had asked me a couple months ago, having not rewatched it, I probably would have put it like towards the bottom of my list. Cause I just remember not being a fan of it, but I, I am. Yeah, it's good. But, and that's why we, we do this at the end of every single show because going in and rewatching these movies, knowing where they came from, where they wind up going kind of changes your thoughts. But then also you're, going into it with that set of eyes to be like, okay, how do I really feel about this now? And I'm ready to put this in my number two uh, after Captain America Winter Soldier, but before the original Avengers from 2012, because this is an Avengers movie. As much as I loved Avengers, this one already has that team set up. It gets right to the point where you're seeing this team function and 
seeing everybody work alongside each other is chef's kiss perfection. Uh, this this movie's so great, and I look forward to seeing all of these characters back together again with uh, Captain America: Civil War. But when we wind up getting around to it, we're going to be talking about number thirteen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Ant Man coming up, which I'm actually really looking forward to rewatching that one again because it's been a minute. And without thinking too much about it, I have no idea where I'm going to wind up putting that one because I love that movie, but looking at even my top four right now, I don't know if I can put it over any of those. It's the movie that I'm like, I know I got to put it before I got to watch it before I watch Civil War. And I know I can't watch Black Panther until I watch Civil War. So I got those three movies like locked in all three together. But then Doctor Strange and Ant-Man are like... Like... When do I want to watch that in this in, in this actual you know, progression of these movies? It's like... Uh, you know... I don't know. Ant-Man's... They're just origin they're, movies. They're just origin movies after all this great crossover. And that's the thing, because we'll definitely talk about them being those origin movies. But I feel like they're some of the better done origin movies, you know, when you compare them to stuff like Iron Man, Captain America, and it, Thor. Ant-Man um, Ant doesn't feel like a origin story. Like, it's an origin story for uh, Scott Lang, but it's already an established character before that. Like, it's a, just a fun movie at that point, where, like, Doctor Strange to me feels more like a, like an origin story where you're really getting bogged down by it. I don't know. Well, so just as a, a precursor, so Ant-Man's next, and then Captain America Civil War. Then number 14 will be Doctor Strange, followed up by Guardians Volume 2, and then Spider-Man Homecoming. So those are the kind of the next batch to keep an eye on if you want to watch along with us. We do one of these about every month uh, in between everything else that we talk about. But, John, what are we talking next about week next week? is going to be a trade and policy. It's going to be uh, Black Sad. Um, trade and policy. Yeah, I, I don't have any of the information about the book in front of me to talk more about it. But we'll talk plenty uh, next episode. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. While you're staying tuned, hey, we appreciate it. We just do this for the love of the game. Make sure you rate and review us over on the iTunes. Follow us on everything that we do. Uh, we just like talking about nerd shit. 